Our text will be found in verses 1 through 11. We get back to our series. I get back um, after being away for a little bit. Um, beautiful day God has blessed us with today, and I am glad each of you are here. We welcome you in the name of the Lord. I want to thank you for allowing, affording uh, Wendy and I um, an opportunity to be away uh, for a bit of a break. Also attended a conference out on the West Coast, um, Ascend, uh, Southern Baptist, uh, IMB, Missionary Conference that talks about um, the local church being mobilized to global missions for the glory of God. And um, it was just an amazing opportunity. But out in California, let me tell you, there's, and I learned this interesting fact, both Pennsylvania and California end with the letter A. That's the only thing they have in common. (laughs) Just, so it was amazing time. But think California, and even at the conference, it's, it's smoke and it's lights, okay, and loud music and amazing. Uh, we got to sit under the teaching of, of David Platt and Francis Chan, just amazing opportunity. And then I, I returned to like my little office, my little study, and I began to examine my text for this week. And, and I felt, I, I found a quote, I felt like Spurgeon. Spurgeon says this, he says, Whitfield and Wesley might preach the gospel better than I do, but they could not preach a better gospel. I thought of that. I thought, you know what? Platt and Chan may preach the gospel better than I do, but they could not preach a better gospel. And I think what's interesting is that there's always a temptation like, okay, what, what can we do different? Like what's, what's big and new? And, and there's a temptation almost to change. And yet what's interesting, while I was away, we had this opportunity just to uh, just, just, just see an array of God's beautiful creation on the Pacific coast. But I was reading a book, and in the book it, it quoted Thomas Ogden. He says this, Pastors, every sermon we preach must reflect the same thing in absolutely clear commitments to unoriginality. He's talking about the fact that we have a simple message right here in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that will remain unchanged. Does it mean that we don't put forth great effort to present it in a way that people hear and understand? No, but we don't adjust the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So my prayer And just a renewed focus, having been away, is that there would always be a clear offering to you of the good news of Jesus Christ. That is my heart's passion that has even been refreshed and renewed even more. So thank you for allowing us the privilege and opportunity to be away. Mark chapter 11, I want to direct your attention to the first 11 verses. Typically, um, we would we would read this text or preach this text on Palm Sunday. Now, we're just ahead of the game. We are just, you guys are so sharp. We're, we're that far ahead of schedule. Um, let me read to you on what is referred to as the triumphant entry. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll pray and dive into this text. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, 
at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, go, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, what, why, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away, and they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what, what, are, what are you doing untying the colts? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Would you bow your heads and pray with me this morning? Father, as we come into your presence, we acknowledge who you are. We recognize your sovereignty, your authority. We are grateful that through the work and because of the sacrifice of your only son, Jesus, on the cross for our sins, that by our faith in his work, we can approach you. God, we're thankful for your word that speaks to us. And now together with one mind and one heart, we ask that you would speak. May we hear you. Father, I just thank you for this church. I thank you for what you're doing in the lives of many, in the homes. We pray, Lord, for for us as men and fathers and husbands to lead and to love as you've loved us. Father, help us, Lord, each to understand our important role for the furthering of the good news of the gospel in Lock Haven and surrounding communities and to the uttermost parts of the world. Father, I, I just pray right now for clarity of thought and, and mind as I get back into this text that, Lord, you'd use me however you see fit. May this be for your glory. May this be an offering and sacrifice for you and for you alone. Father, I would ask, Lord, that you would quicken us, open our eyes and ears. Please guard my mind and my mouth. Father, may uh, you speak and we hear. Help us to be faithful to the truth of this text. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, in preparation for this text, kind of typical, I read um, several different study Bibles. I read Matthew Henry and, and Barnes. I read Erdman's. I read Tim Keller's work on this text and Sinclair Ferguson's. I read on subjects pertaining to this, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of man. 
I read on messianic prophecies, on the ministry of Jesus. I, I read about the geography, the difference between Jericho and and Jerusalem, and transportation, and modes of transportation. I I read about donkeys, and young donkeys. I watched Shrek three times this week, just in preparation. No, no, actually, I'm joking. I, I, I really didn't read Matthew Henry, just to let you know. There is in this text, okay, a moment... Um, I, I want to get the Latin right. My Latin pronunciation, it's kind of like um, Julius Caesar. He is crossing the river Rubicon, and there is no turning back from this moment. He says this in Latin, Alea lecte est, which means what? The die is cast. We're not going backwards from here on. When Jesus enters Jerusalem at this moment, he knows everything that's awaits him okay it is what this is this is this is the apex moment of the entire earthly ministry of jesus it is his rejection it's coming death burial and resurrection but before all of that there for some reason is this little narrative it's interesting i don't know if you recognize or not all four of the gospels matthew 21 luke Uh, 19, Mark 11, John 12, all speak about this triumphant entry when some of the Gospels miss other details of Jesus' ministry. The thief on the cross is not recorded in all the Gospels. The crown of thorns, the washing of the disciples' feet. So there's something, there's something in this text that is what, it's, it's, it's to bubble to the top of our attention. So, so we listen to it, we look at it, and we learn. Number one, when Jesus, the king, arrives, here it is, a prophecy is fulfilled. Number one, and we see this in the first six verses of this particular text. Last week, Pastor Aaron preached so, so grateful for his ministry. Um, when I was away, and, and, and Pastor uh, Aaron and Pastor Josh and... And, and Stuart, uh, Sue Omer, just, just things went smoothly. I, I didn't hear a peep problems. Maybe the whole place was on fire. I had no idea. Nobody told me about it. Aaron preached last week, did a great job, and he was talking about Jesus healing a blind beggar. His name was Bartimaeus, and, and he concluded, it says that after what? It says that he followed him on the way. If you look at Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 20, it says what? As they went from Jericho, that a great crowd followed him. So by this time, as Jesus is on his journey, there is a massive crowd moving from Jericho to Jerusalem, a distance almost a day's journey. 20 miles is typically a day's journey. 17 miles from Jericho to Jerusalem. Luke chapter 19 says they actually went up to Jerusalem. It's a 3,000 foot ascent from Jericho to Jerusalem. So when they went up, literally they're going up the hill. Crowds of people, and, and there's crowds following Jesus, but there's another reason that there's crowds entering Jerusalem at this particular moment. It was Passover. This is the time that the Jews, the Hebrews, celebrated the liberation from slavery in Egypt. They're going to sacrifice, what, the Passover? Little do they know that Jesus is 
the Passover lamb. Get you a little bit of a background by way of the setting. It's estimated historical records. I don't know if you realize this or not, that, that Josephus recorded 255,000 lambs were slaughtered at Passover in one year. 255,000 lambs. Not everyone could afford a lamb. They estimate one lamb was usually for about 10 people, two small families or one large family. Do a little math. It's easy. Who, who's in Jerusalem? Two Two and a half million people. Think like 4th of July parade at Lock Haven. Multiply it by a couple thousand. Okay, there's what? A busy, bustling scene here of what? In Jerusalem, there's people selling things or bartering. There's people that are begging There's children running around. There's donkeys and sheep and chickens and people playing music. In the midst of all of this chaos with a crush of people is the only time that Jesus makes his what? Planned, promoted um, public entrance. He enters in the midst of all of this. A coronation, so to speak. The arrival of a king. But it's a different coronation. Think of a coronation. There's pomp and circumstance and pageantry. And there's people dressed in beautiful clothes and and there's beautiful white horses. That's the coronation of a king. But this is totally, totally, totally different. This is not a coronation of a king. It's a coronation of the king. Totally different. Much like his birth is, is, is low, is humble. He's riding on a donkey. There's not a white horse here with a sword flashing in the sun. Totally different than any coronation. That's the reason that Jesus tells Pilate later on in John chapter 18, what my kingdom is not of this world. View this totally unique, totally, totally different from anything else. Here it is, it says that they stop and wait on the outskirts, little town, Bethany, Bethpage, at the base of Mount of Olives. He sends two disciples. I don't know, it doesn't say their names. I'm still thinking it's probably Peter and John. They're just, they're just always at the front. Hey guys, I need you. Sends two disciples in, and Jesus explains very clear instruction here. And, and Mark, one that's not normally noted for detail, has detail, go into the village, Immediately you find a colt, the word is polos, a a small donkey or a young donkey. You'll find it, it'll be tied, in which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it. There's all these commands, go, find, untie, bring. If anyone says to you, what, what do you do? You tell them, the Lord, notice the all caps, Yahweh, tell them, I am. Tell them, I am, has need of it. I love this. They stopped and said, but why a donkey? I, I love this because they said, really, shouldn't we look for a horse? No, no, no. I love this because it says they went. Matthew 21 says what? And they did as Jesus directed them. Well, end of the story, right? Why? Like, Why? All four Gospels, why the detail of this donkey? 
lot of dialogue. We're talking, forgive me, it's an ass here. And, and we say, and apologies to adorable Eeyore, okay? Donkeys are kind of known for being dumb and, and ugly. They're a beast of burden. Yes, yes, no doubt. They can be funny if you've ever watched Shrek. Apart from that, it's a coronation that is totally different. There should be a white horse with a triumphant warrior riding atop, but not here, not now. It's a different coronation, different kingdom, different king. I want you to note a detail in the story that we can learn from. Jesus says, if anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Remember, go in, untie the donkey. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? It's interesting, two of the four Gospels here in Mark, but also in Luke, actually record that the owner of the donkey did say something, and we can kind of understand. It's a pretty realistic question. The owner of the donkey says this, excuse me, uh, why are you untying the colt? It's kind of a legitimate question. It's like you jumping in my Jeep, like, just like, excuse me, um, you can have it, but like, you could ask, at least just ask. And what's what? They told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. There's something here. The owner of the donkey lets them take. Why this, why this, like, why this donkey? Why this detail? There's a great purpose here. There's a great point that's important for us. It's all in perfect fulfillment of a messianic prophecy from 550 years prior to this. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book, Minor Prophet, minor by way of length, not important, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, right before the end of the what last book, Malachi and the... Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Behold, your king is, is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Listen to this. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, 550 years. And there is the specific, very specific, very special detail. Jesus is going to be coming 550 years. You and I don't have a clue what we're going to be eating for breakfast in the morning, let alone what's going to happen down to a specific detail 500 years from. Now, now, all of this to say that there's, there's a purpose here. Recall, big picture, what's happening? What's happening? Jesus is introducing himself as what? As king. Well, a king is what? A king is a sovereign. A king is a ruler. A king is the one who's in charge. A king is the one who, who kind of like sets the direction. A king is the one who makes the plans. A king here, King Jesus has arrived and he has what? He has all the might of the mightiest of monarchs and yet he is declaring down to the tiniest detail of a young donkey that has never been ridden before, I want you to give me what is rightfully mine. 
understand here what is happening? Give me what's mine. This belongs to me. Practically speaking, I get the very clear impression that God, God wants us to learn a lesson even from this little donkey and from the owner of this donkey. Again, pause on the narrative, on the storyline, and move over what we call a little light bulb. That there's a lesson for us, even with this unnamed man who owns a young donkey, that we, what, should be willing, you and I should be willing to offer whatever we have to the Lord in order to, what, to move, what, the story of Jesus further down the road. Do you see that? Do you see that every single one of us have, in a sense, a figurative donkey tied up? Do, do you know that? That a lot of times, a lot of times I, I find that we're holding on to it and we're like, well, we're planning and we're protecting this. And the Lord's like, wait, wait a minute. I have needs here. Will you unloose it. Think about, think about who God, just, just for a moment, don't think about others around you. Oh, God has kind of wired you. Each unique. I'm just fascinated with people. Every one of you here has a unique personality, strengths and weaknesses. The gifts that God has given to you, some of you gifts here that you are responsible. What gifts to, to lead or to administer? Gifts to serve or give? Gifts to teach or communicate or just nurture? All kind of gifts that, that God is asking. And, and I find that, that we can move forward as a church, but we move kind of clunkily forward. Does that make sense? I don't know if that's an official word. Clunkily? Clunkily? Clunky? And I feel it's because we're still holding on, on to that which is the Lord's. He gave it to you. He gave you what? Your heart that's beating inside your chest at this very moment. You don't know how long you're going to be here. He gave you the breath that is in your lungs, the, the sight to be able to see. Did you see the sun rise this morning? Over the hills. And we, we have this responsibility. We have a very short window. Very short window. And we have all of eternity dependent upon how we are responding to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our own hearts. Tads and husbands, as you're leading your wife and your family, do you recognize we have a little window to offer everything up for his glory. Scripture is filled. I don't have the time to go and begin a list. I'm like, well, this, that, like just, there's just way too many people who, who are like, here, just have it. And they did it, I think, they did it quickly and, and readily. I just, I, just, I just am fascinated. Still, still, little story of little David and the giant Goliath. Like all these big warriors surrounded and they're literally just like shaking in fear and, and David who has just his eyes fixed on the Lord. He offers, he's like, you know, I, I got the slingshot here in my bag and been practicing a little while. I'm getting pretty good with it. 
Slingshot? What do you mean? Slingshot. No, that's all it was. It was just a slingshot, but the kid is really getting good with it. And God took that and uses that in an amazing way. You understand that we have to offer to the Lord's little, little tiny things to a big God. All kinds of stories of that through history. And I, I, I don't have the time to go into all of them. But guys, unnamed guys. Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher. A little Sunday school up in, in, in Boston, Massachusetts. Nobody ever heard of Ed Kimball before. And he said, I got to go talk to this kid I, I met. This young guy. He's, he's, he's selling shoes at a shoe store. Edward Kimball went down to the shoe store in Boston a hundred plus years ago and said, I want you to come, I want you to hear about Jesus. And he led D.L. Moody to the Lord. Heard of D.L. Moody, he just rocked and shaked. God used him. Pivotal time in the history of our own country. Little things to obey God. Little people, us, like we're just like, that's all. We offer that. Look at what these people did. It says they took off their coats and they spread their cloaks. They put them on the donkey. They put them on the ground. They went and cut leaves. Luke says that they were palm leaves, palm branches, and put them on the grounds. I don't have a whole lot here, but let me find something to just offer as a sign of who you are. Had no idea. The, the, the guy that owned the donkey had no idea. That he was the one. We don't even know his name. He was the one. That God chose to use to be the fulfillment of a messianic prophecy from 550 years prior to that. Only, only, only the work of God on display. When Jesus the king arrives, number one, a prophecy is fulfilled. Number two, a proclamation is made. A proclamation is is made in verses 7, excuse me, through 11. Back to our narrative here, back to our storyline. There's more, and it's important, and the crowds that went before him and followed after him were shouting, Hosanna, the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. What this is is a proclamation of praise. And, And it's surrounded around this one word here, Hosanna literally shouted, crying from the very tops of their lungs on this busy street entering Jerusalem. Examine this word, Hosanna, it occurs in the New Testament. You know, listen very carefully for the Greek word Hosanna, the Greek word for Hosanna. It's pronounced this, Hosanna. That's it. All, All the English translators do. All they did was they used English letters, H-O-S-A-N-N-A, to make the sound of a Greek word. It's called a transliteration. So English word, Hosanna, Greek word, Hosanna. Well, well what, what did the Greek, what did the writers in the New Testament do? They did exactly the same thing. They went to a Hebrew word. It was pronounced Hoshina. And they just, they just, they just spelled exactly the same word. What's interesting is that this Hebrew word hoshna, which is hosanna, same word, occurs one time in all the Old Testament. One time. Hoshina. Psalm 118, verse 25. And it means this. This is what the word hosanna means. Here it is. Save, please. Save, 
please, Hosanna. A lot of people are like, Hosanna, like that's a good thing. Hallelujah, that's a good thing. Well, what, what does it mean? It means what? Save, please. Now you only cry out, please save me unless you what? Unless you realize somebody better throw me a life ring because I need to be safe. I'm drowning here. What is this? This is a clear proclamation admitting not only, okay, each one who is shouting, not only the need to be saved, but they are acknowledging what? The one and the only one who can save. On this day is a declaration of Hosanna. It is a plea, please rescue me. It's a plea of redemption from the only one who could deliver. They say, okay, but deliver them from what? No doubt the Jews have been looking for a Messiah for a long time. They had had studied the Old Testament. There's messianic prophecies. They've been looking. The Jews are under this Roman tyranny, and so they are looking for someone to free them from this Roman tyranny. But when Jesus comes doesn't free them from, from Roman tyranny. He's not concerned about that. He frees them from what? Something a lot bigger. Don't, don't fear those who can hurt a body. You fear the one who can cast a soul. In hell. Jesus doesn't come and free them from Roman tyranny. He frees them from the bondage, what? Not of the Romans, but the bondage of sin. He's here to solve a problem. The problem's a lot bigger than, than, than the problem with Rome. It's the problem, what? That you, apart from me, Jesus says, what? You have a problem with God. There's a separation from God. There's good news here. The whole thing is a different king. It's a different kingdom. It's not external. It's internal. How, 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 how much of our prayer is this. God, save me from sickness, hardship. God, save me, protect me from disease. God, keep me safe here. How much of our long list? God, please help me to pass this test. God, please help, help. And, And we're asking constantly, God, save me but we're asking him to save us from that which really is secondary. God is not as concerned about your happiness as he is concerned about your holiness. Which means what? Save me from my sin. I read this week, I was reminded this week, even on a personal, on my knees, tax collector. Remember the Pharisee? Oh God, I have fasted and I have given. So thankful I'm not like that tax collector. I read just this week where the tax collector, not even looking up, face on the ground, said, God, have mercy on me. Forgive me a sinner. Does it mean that God's not concerned about your safety or your well-being? No, it's not. It's not. Well, God's more concerned about our holiness and our happiness, so does that mean we're supposed to be miserable? Okay, fine then. No, it's not that at all. 
You have to realize what? It's that relationship. It's, that, it's the ability to go directly to God, pursuing holiness as he is holy, by admitting and confessing our own sins so we can have relationship. That's the goal. That's the goal. And so we pause on this. Again, all four Gospels, there's something here that's significant. Will you offer? Will you offer all that you have? Here it is. I'm going to untie it. I'll lose the donkey to the one who saves. Will you offer all of your praise to the only one who saves? In closing, how do, we, how do we apply this text? Number one, you recognize Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah King. John the Baptist says in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold what the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb. People are scurrying around to buy a little lamb to sacrifice in the temple. And it was what? It was in obedience to law that was established up to that point. But... but Jesus was sacrificed on that cross so that we don't have to do that. I am so thankful that I don't have to go buy a little lamb, take it to the temple, because Jesus is the lamb of God. Recognize that there's no one else. Every other faith and belief system, do this and do this and and offer this and say this and speak like this. No, Jesus is just, he's cried out, it's finished. Just view me, see me. Recognize Jesus is the Messiah. Secondly, realize only Jesus can save you from your sin. There is nothing else. There is no one else. Romans chapter 10 says this in verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved. My question this morning is who even sitting here this morning? I think that you can hear it, you can hear it, you can hear it, and you can hear it, but you still have not cried out. You actually think that because you haven't robbed a bank or shot anyone recently, that you somehow deserve a reserved parking spot in heaven. Ugh, ugh, so wrong. So wrong. Everyone, everyone. There are people that are doing horrible and horrific things in this world. Terrorists that are teaching children to walk into crowded marketplaces and detonate themselves. People are doing horrible things, and yet that terrorist can be forgiven from their sin just like you and I can be forgiven. You realize that? Everyone who calls. Thirdly, repent. This is a turning from. Repent from your sin and ask Jesus to forgive you. Acts chapter 3 and 19 says, Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. My concern is is that we say, Lord, forgive. Lord, save. And, And yet we stay in our sin. We have no intention of getting rid of that which has its hooks and claws in us. And we turn from that. In order to do that, God has blessed us. God has blessed us with brothers and sisters who will come alongside. God has blessed us with the word of the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. God has blessed us with the powerful, incredible ministry of the Holy Spirit that convicts us and comforts us. 
perhaps even today, perhaps even at this very moment, you need to turn from sin and cry out, save please, save please. May you do that. We, we, don't, get, like, we don't gather here just to like pat one another on the back. And, hey, good to catch up, man. It's been a while. No, that, like, that's neat. That's like an outpour. That's like an extra. We're here to hear from and get a view of a holy God. Recognize our unholiness and unload all of that so we can be in right communion with the Lord. So grateful that we have the communion table today, a visual visible reminder of what Jesus Christ has done for us so that we can what be holy as he is holy. We, 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 don't, we don't buy what? We don't have to go buy an oxen. We don't have to go buy a sheep or a turtle dove. I don't even know what a turtle dove is. A pigeon. We have to buy those things and, and, and hope that by, by, by sacrificing it or cleanse us for a period of time. No, it's done once and for all. It's the powerful message of the communion table that Jesus did not want us ever to forget. Matter of fact, he says, I want you to regularly do this until he comes again. Oh, and he will come again. Jesus sat. Matter of fact, we're going to be looking at it just, just in a couple weeks. Jesus sits in the upper room with his disciples and gives them what you and I need, a visual reminder of what? Here's a a piece of bread. It was unleavened bread. And he took it, he showed it to them, and he broke it. And he said, this is is what's going to happen to me. By this point, three times Jesus had spoke about the fact that he was going to be rejected. Everyone wants the what? The king on a white horse with the flashing sword. And he says, no, I'm going to be offered low and humble. I'm going to be tortured. I'm going to bleed and die. My body's going to be broken for you. Don't forget what you're about to witness. Jesus also took the fruit of the vine and he poured it out. He said, this is a picture. This is a symbol of my blood. Don't forget it. Then he says this, drink it. Some people here like the blood of Christ and this is a picture. And I want you like, that's just... No, 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 it's the blood that washes and cleanses. Without the shedding of blood, that's why lambs were offered. There can be no forgiveness, there can be no remission of sin. And so we have the work of Jesus on display before us. It's right here. We're going to offer that to you so that you remember it and hold on to it. And it what? It, it, it ignites you. Knowing what Jesus has done for me, it puts me on fire to tell everyone. You wouldn't believe, regardless of what you're going through, there's one who can save. There's one who can save because of the work of Jesus. So today as a, as a body, two things we regularly do, baptism for new believers and the Lord's Supper is for you as a believer. If you acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I invite you, please take this. Please celebrate what Jesus has done. Do it in, 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 in a sense of commemoration and seriousness. Not flippancy. Okay, let's get on to the last song. Let's get on to what's next. We pause on this and we take time. If you're here this morning and you've never 
cried out to Jesus to save you. And I would ask for you to do that. And upon recognizing that Jesus, through the shedding of his blood, taking all the wrath of his heavenly father upon himself so that we could be forgiven and freed from sin. You recognize that and you ask the Lord to save you from sin and you can take this, please take this and remember. But if you've not made that decision, if you refuse to, I don't want to be rude, please don't take this. Don't, don't take it just because somebody's sitting next to you. You don't want that on you. Jesus knows your heart. You can't fool, you can fool the guy sitting next to you. You cannot fool the Lord. He sees it all. This is for believers. It's for believers. Elders are going to come and they're going to serve this to you. And just as tradition has it here, just through uh, the liberties and graces that we have, we choose to do it the third week of the month. It's the third Sunday. And we're going to offer you the, the bread first. I'll ask... God's blessing on the bread and the cup, and then we'll serve you the cup. And just take these few moments in quietness. There'll be no music played. It's just our quiet hearts before the Lord, recognizing who we are and who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And we can partake of this.
Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, as we come before you and we have this bread in our hands as a picture of your body, Lord, may we, may we not just take this, partake of the communion table, bread in the cup, um, without thought. Um, may we never be guilty of, of taking it in a way, Lord, that is anything but of recognizing with the utmost of respect your work and grateful that we are forgiven. An amazing demonstration of your grace. Thank you for that. Thank you for suffering on our behalf. Thank you for your willingness to offer your own son. as a sacrifice. Thank you for seeing us, knowing us, loving us, forgiving us, rescuing us. We give you all the glory and all the praise. God, now bless this bread, bless this cup. May it ignite us, not only to recognize what you've done for us, but to shout that message of grace and love and hope to others. Help us to do that and do that well, to do that faithfully. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. It says that the Lord Jesus Christ, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, as we've just done, he, he broke it and he said, this is, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
It says, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Amen. And thank you, Lord Jesus. We're going to sing and praise what God has done. Would you stand with us as we close?